Our scripture reading today is from Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants too. Because God is the one who established it on the seas, God set it firmly on the waters. Who can ascend the Lord's mountain? Who can stand in his holy sanctuary? Only the one with clean hands and a pure heart, the one who hasn't made false promises, the one who hasn't sworn dishonestly. That kind of person receives blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God who saves. And that's how things are with the generation that seeks him, that seeks the face of Jacob's God. Mighty gates, lift up your heads. Ancient doors, rise up high. So the glorious king can enter. Who is this glorious king? The Lord, strong and powerful. The Lord, powerful in battle. Mighty gates, lift up your heads. Ancient doors, rise up high. So the glorious king can enter. Who is this glorious king? The Lord of heavenly forces, he is the glorious king. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Okay, at this time I'm going to ask our teaching team to come on up with me, please. We thought it might be helpful since we are going this uh, route to introduce you to everyone as you will be hearing from them in the months, the weeks, the whatever's ahead. <laughs> so for those of you don't, who don't know us, let's just go down the line and tell, tell you all our names. How about that? I'm Brian Holmes. Mandy Kempen. Emily Schoenfelder. I'm Melinda. Uh, hi, all. I'm JJ Simpson. I'm Vicki Brown. Chris Schaffner. So the first thing that I want to ask is, why a teaching team? Why did we decide this was the way to go? And I'm going to let Mandy answer that for us this morning. Um, good morning. Uh, so the idea of a teaching team is not unique to this season. Years and years ago, just a couple of years after the church started, um, Charlie Dean, who was the founding pastor, had always felt strongly that, and maybe it's because he knew that he had a very charismatic personality, that he wanted to make sure that there were other voices than just his own up front. And so over time, a teaching team was developed, uh, and I was a part of that. This was when we were in the Arcadia building. And the goal was to not only help Charlie with like Sunday morning forecasting and kind of planning through series, but also to uh, come up with like the Sunday school classes that would be happening on rotation, either connected to what was happening Sunday mornings or not. We were the ones who taught, and then we also would uh, sub in to preach. Um, at the time, I think Charlie had the number 65% in his head, um, that that's how often he would speak, and then he wanted other voices up front the rest of the time. And so we were the, the main ones who would kind of filter in through that. And over the course of time, the needs changed, the Sunday school idea changed, and the teaching team morphed and developed um, and then didn't exist for a little while. With the recent changes and Melinda stepping in, we've decided to revitalize that idea, not only to provide support to Melinda in the forecasting and thinking through and speaking, but also because at that time it really was a healthy kind of subset of the formation team. Um, we could come together with the worship team and with other people in the church to kind of talk through how we want Sunday mornings to, to happen beyond just the sermon, how we want um, 
you know, the different ways that we want to invite the congregation to participate on Sunday mornings and engage the things we're talking about. And then also what other midweek or Sunday school classes could help to supplement um, as we continue to grow as a community. So that's where the idea of the teaching team being revitalized came from. But it was something that existed four years, years ago. Can I add to that just real quick? When we went through the transition after Charlie left too, we found out we have really, really, really talented and gifted people in our community who could share, who could speak, who had wisdom and knowledge and experience and charisma uh, that, could, that could share that. And we went for a number of times before Josh and then before Melinda where we, and I say we, I mean the body, shouldered that responsibility and it was a beautiful time. Thank you for that. So now just a little bit about spiritual backgrounds for everyone. If you could just briefly share a little bit about your spiritual background. I'm not really going to share that much about my spiritual background because if you don't know me by now, let's get coffee and I'll tell you all about me. <laughs> Otherwise, you can read about me on the website. So, Chris, can you tell us a little bit about your spiritual background? I'm a spiritual mutt. I <laughs> uh, did not grow up in a traditional denomination, didn't grow up in a traditional church family. We were holiday Christians at best uh, a lot of times uh, for a number of years. My mom's a Greek immigrant, so she was Greek Orthodox. My dad grew up uh, Methodist, and we just didn't attend very well. So uh, I was raised on the religion of pop culture, so I don't, I don't have much of a spiritual background. Thank you for that. Vicki? I grew up Methodist and then went to a Baptist church when Corey and I first got married um, in college, and then left that to go to Northwoods, where you can be anonymous, and then help start Amargo. Thank you, Vicki. JJ? I grew up in the Christian Church, Church of Christ, non-denominational, we're not Catholic background. Um, very clear on that one. And was was in that for the majority of my life. Went to school at Lincoln Christian, then college, now university, for eight years. Got a couple of degrees out of that one. And then a couple of years after I graduated, left the Christian Church, that whole non-denominational bit, and then just went right into Episcopal. I uh, did that for like three to four years, uh, even until when I moved up to Peoria, and I was attending there until the end of 2018 when I started attending Imago in January of this 2019. So. Thank you, JJ. Emily? Uh, I grew up United Methodist. Um, my parents helped to found a United Methodist church in my hometown uh, in Florida, and they still attend there, and so I spent probably the first two and a half decades of my life, um, worshiping and serving there. Um, when I left, um, I bounced around for a while. I attended um, a very conservative, non-denominational church that was probably most closely tied to Southern Baptist, and I spent many years not attending anywhere or kind of bouncing into non-denominational churches before I found Imago. I'll try to keep this as succinct as possible because I have been a nomad. Um, I grew up in a very a-religious um, household. When I was 15, became good friends with a girl who was part of the Mormon church, and I was involved in that community for a few years. Then started going to my aunt's incredibly small, non-denominational, charismatic, Assemblies of God-influenced church for several years during uh, the Vineyard um, Brownsville time, and then was forged through Cornerstone, a music festival at Bushnell, um, full of uh, hippies from the 60s. And then spent five years on staff at a Methodist church, um, 
avoided coming to Imago because people kept telling me this new cool hip church had started, which I firmly believed I would not fit into. Um, I've never been cool or hip. Um, finally did come, um, but in the midst of all that, I've also spent time with Catholic monks and Episcopalians and all sorts of other folks. So I would say that eclectic is probably the best word to describe me, um, but Jesus has kind of been my North Star from, from the beginning. So. so I grew up Lutheran with the nicest people on the face of the planet. So that's how we operate. So um, coffee and casserole pretty much solved any problem that you ever needed in that church. So it was a very loving community. And then when I went to college, um, I just kind of wandered for a while. And then I had a salvation experience, um, which made me kind of a big jerk for a few years. Um, but I was involved with Campus Crusade. And there was a lot of beautiful people in that space. But I was in a more fundamentalist world for a while. Um, and then uh, Laura and I have been part of evangelical free churches for many years. And then um, we were a little worried because for a while, any church that we would go visit and start to join would have some big trauma happen. So we'd come and visit, and like a month later, the pastor would leave and take three-fourths of people with them. And then we were helping fix it and things like that. So churches started to say, you can just go visit somewhere else. That would be great and not stay here. Um, but it exposes to a lot of different places. So we've been... Like I said, a lot of evangelical free, Baptist church, um, and then finally ended up here at Imago. Awesome. Brian, could you share a little bit about uh, a spiritual, a significant spiritual turning point in your life? Whew, um, there have been lots, but I think for me, about 10 years ago, the, all the easy answers that I'd been raised on um, just stopped working in real life. So I'd been taught all the right answers and all the things that God would do if I just followed X, Y, and Z. And then it wasn't happening and that those things didn't work anymore. Um, and in my lives and the lives of people I loved, there was just all these things going on and I couldn't make it fit anymore. So at first I tried to shoehorn those situations into that belief system and then it just was unraveling and falling apart. And it's a little embarrassing. One of the things that really started the unraveling was dinosaurs because I got really mad because like why would if there were no you know if the, if the creation story was true then why would there be fossils why would God put fossils in there just to mess us up it seems dumb but that was something that like triggered a lot of thinking but anyway so a lot of those questions came up and then um, I read a book um, called Blue Lake Jazz by someone named Donald Miller that if you're my age you might have encountered that book um, but he was asking questions like I was asking questions and he was looking at God in ways that I was looking at God. And that was really what started the process of me just wanting to know more um, and breaking away from the safety and security that I felt before, which was beautiful but also terrible at the same time. And then there's just been a lot of stumbling forward in that process ever since then. Um, so I would say I've had several seasons in my life where I have felt like I existed in a snow globe that God had just flipped upside down and shaken really hard and then set back down. But I would say probably the most significant one as far as longstanding um, would be when I did start going to Cornerstone, um, which was a, a Christian music festival in Bushnell, Illinois. I existed for years. I was baptized there when I was 16, didn't really go back much. And then in my early 20s when I started my first like really hard deconstruction because the charismatic church I was involved in was also pretty fundamental, um, pretty influenced by evangelical thinking. And because I had converted, I had just given all of my like political and social views, I, I exchanged them for the belonging into that community. Um, 
And after five or six years, as I got older, I started not being so okay with that and started revisiting things like women in ministry, gender in general, sexuality, um, I mean, interpretations of the Bible, the Holy Spirit, like everything kind of crashed. And because I, I had a very small world, I didn't know that there were other ways to be a Christian. And Cornerstone was where I found time and time again whole communities of people who had already done that work and had already come to another side. And I could clearly see Jesus in them. And so I believed that it was possible that there was still space for me. And coming to Imago, honestly, uh, Imago's, or Cornerstone stopped meeting soon after I started coming here. And one of the reasons I stayed was because this community was the closest to that I had ever experienced outside of that context. Um, I would say that I have several as well. Probably the one that stands out as most significant for me um, happened in college. So I um, very early kind of felt a draw towards being in ministry professionally and kind of um, worked towards that for a lot of my life. And so in college, I was working on a degree in religious studies and um, at the same time, things in my home church started to change and there were a lot of things that I didn't agree with in the direction that the church was going, which also started bringing up a lot of deconstruction for me, probably helped along by the secular degree in religion. And um, so I was kind of wrestling for with that, but around the same time I was hired on as an interim youth director at our church and was told while I was in my final year of my degree and applying to seminary that I wouldn't be hired because I was a woman. And that was kind of the final straw for me that, that said, okay, this isn't, this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. And um, I would say that I felt like, at the time I, had, I felt like God was playing a joke on me, that I had worked for so many years down a specific path and then was completely without a plan B. And so I had a lot of anger um, at the church and at God and um, spent the better part of a decade really trying to figure out what that meant. And um, I think that I finally felt at home here um, when I came about three years ago because Imago is someplace that it's okay for me to come with that anger and confusion. Uh, so similarly, uh, part of one of my biggest spiritual turning points is I was a part of a faith community for not quite a decade, uh, and towards the end of that time, we had a new minister come in, and he was pushing in different directions against where myself, the worship minister, and a couple of others were pushing us towards, uh, which was we were trying to bring in more and more historical and ancient faith practices into the Sunday morning gathering, and the new minister just he didn't care like at all actively rebelled against it and the work we were doing. And then on top of that, just uh, he didn't find value in the youth of the church. He didn't find value in those who didn't believe what he believed. And just that culminating with the leadership of the church, uh, elders in this case, changing the bylaws for very stupid reasons. I uh, don't, yeah, still hurts to think about a little bit. Uh, I just, I, I had to leave that. It's still painful five years later. Uh, and I went right into the Episcopal church where it was, always embraced to have these historical faith practices and historical traditions because that's what 
the Episcopal, the Anglican, the Roman Catholic Church traditions are built upon. They're built upon these ancient faith practices. And so I had to do a lot of just shoving away of all the things because just like here at Imago, I was heavily involved at that church. I was there pretty much every Sunday, either playing because, well, I do that here, uh, or doing sound because I also do that here. Uh, so doing all those things, I just I had to give that up for a time, and it hurt, and I had to rethink my stances and viewpoints on just how does that fit into the church? How do I fit in? How do I give my best to doing what I need to do? And then moving out of that into just where I am now. So, um, I would say one of, I mean, to echo everybody, you have lots of spiritual turning points. But in 2014, I joined a program to become a spiritual director at the Kiara Center in Springfield. And it is in that program where I discovered Christian mysticism, which I didn't know existed. And I am so glad that I went um, because it, it made God so much bigger. Um, I, I don't really know what else to say about that, but if you feel like God is too small, please talk to me. I would love to tell you all the ways that I know he is big. Um, that's probably one of the most significant spiritual turning points in my life. Uh, not growing up uh, in a spiritual household, a religious household, I, I don't know that I could pinpoint a, like, like a major event that felt like a spiritual catalyst of some sort. That it, to me, it seemed to be more of a slow unrolling of uh, what I would later define as spiritual experiences, but they were so it seemed so minor that it was hard to define them. Um, and I struggled a long time with this idea of moralistic therapeutic deism that God existed to serve me and make me feel better, right? Um, and, it, and it wasn't until I got into social work that. Um, I encountered people who were considered to have much less than me and much, much less fortunate than me. Uh, and a particular individual, uh, same as Ira, is an older homeless black man, and we're doing outreach. And Ira would flag me down about eight o'clock in the morning, drunk, drunk, like he got it on early. And he would stop me to pray for me every morning as we drive through the alley just for safety. And there was something about seeing Jesus in someone I didn't expect it to be in that was uh, maybe the more powerful awakening for me. Uh, and then to continue to see that in folks that are less fortunate than me um, is, is, I think, the thing that gives me uh, that growing awareness of who God is. Faith was not a gift that came by easily. Um, and so seeing it in the most unexpected places is, is usually what's most powerful for me. Thank you all for that. Um, the next question I, I want to ask you about is your current life status, whatever aspects you want to share which will include your birth date, your social security number, your marital status, and your place of birth. Just kidding. No PID. <laughs> Chris, let's start with you. Uh, I'm married, 50 almost, uh, 3295. <laughs> Go right ahead. I pulled that out of my butt. That doesn't sound right my numbers. Um, I don't know. What was the question? <laughs> Where are you at? Where, where am I? Yeah, yeah. So I'm married, married. Um, my pronouns are he, him, his. Uh, I identify as Pan. Uh, my wife and I have been married for almost 25 years. Um, we've got four biological kids and a whole host of other kids through foster care, adoption, or just opening our home up to other kids. Um, both my wife and I, um, we are in, a, I think, a really good season of life, finally. We have uh, our, our three youngest kids, so Charlie, Grace, and 
Claire and Chloe, the twins, they're all seniors in something this year. So Tri Grace graduates college, and then Tr uh, Claire and Chloe graduate high school, as well as Fabian, uh, who's, who's one of our foster kids. And we're looking at moving in this next stage of life of empty nesters, and I can't wait. <laughs> Cannot wait. We got a dog. She's gonna keep us busy. I told my wife she can expect a lot, a lot more nudity once the kids are gone. I'm sorry. It just, it's just, com it's comfortable. I'm fat. I'm hot all the time. So it just is what it is. So um, way more than anybody. Like that sorry. was better than you knowing your social. You can't see that now, can you? It's like, oh, I don't want to go to church. That anymore. was better than knowing your social security number. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. Thanks. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of our stage. I, I feel really blessed to be in the career that I'm in and to be a part of this community here with the friends and, and, and soulmates that we have here. Yeah. So I'm really fortunate that I don't have to work. Um, so I get to stay at home, but I'm a spiritual director in the area. I have a few directees. Um, I'm helping out at the church um, until they hire someone, which has been a lot of fun, um, but kind of reinforces that this is not the season of my life to have a job. Um, just, I, I'm really lucky. Corey and I have been married for 21 years. We have three kids. Um, they'll all be out of the house before we turn 50 because we were married when we were babies. Um, yeah, grew up in, on a farm in that Methodist church and just, I don't know, where life has taken me has surprised me. This is my turn. Uh, I'm just me. I just I do stuff. I do lots of things. So, like, we're doing the whole, I'm single, I live alone, I work from home, that whole bit. Uh, so, I get to stay in that house quite a bit, and then I'm here. Not as much as last year, but I'm, I'm here quite a bit. So, you'll see me floating around between uh, playing over there a lot of times, or just hanging out in the back uh, with the sound peoples and the AV peoples, and I do a lot of that. Um, yeah, it's, the cool thing is I've got degrees that do nothing with my, uh, my chosen career field, so it's super cool to have that conversation, because people always give me the double look, and it's super great. Um, lots of money. Anyway, so that's, that's where I'm at. I'm just me. I'm doing my thing. Single, live alone, the whole bit, you know. I'm going to steal that when somebody asks me what I do from now on. I'm like, I just do stuff. That's <laughs> what I do. I just do things. Um, a lot of that applies to me, too. Um, single, work from home, which is fabulous for me. Um, I grew up in Florida. I am a transplant here because I have extended family in the area. So I was here for school 10-ish years ago and left and came back about five years ago and um, am excited to still be here. Um, I am a cisgendered pansexual woman. Um, I have a fiance of... We've been together for, I think, six years now. I'm engaged for two. We got engaged right before COVID, so it was great timing. Um, so there's no date. Um, we were long distance for the first three and a half years. So um, when she moved here from Rockford, it was, uh, it was a really, a totally new stage in our relationship. We have two cats that we talk about like they're children. So if you ever heard me hear me refer to my boys, I don't actually have like humans. So <laughs> I'm sorry if it's confusing because you will think that I do. Um, I, in June, uh, changed my profession for the second time. Spent 10 years um, in financial industry and then 10 years in property management. And thank you, Jesus, I have transitioned now 
into something that is not property management. So um, my job is very all-consuming right now um, just because of where our team is uh, with the, the current market. But I do see an end to that coming, which will be the end of like five years of job hellscape um, that hopefully will free me up to have more mental space because I'm very excited about the things that are happening here. I'm very excited to help with the teaching team and Advent and Lent again this year. Um, there's just a lot happening that that I love. Um, and then I have like 8,000 hobbies that, that I, you know, half-heartedly engage when I want to and like a bajillion sci-fi or fantasy shows that I can't get through because my fiance hates them. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's pretty much the full, the full picture of my life. <laughs> No one said there are going to be nudity questions in this panel, so <laughs> just assume, Brian. I, I know. So no. So um, Laura and I have been married 24 years. We have two daughters in college and grad school um, that still like to hang out with us most of the time. So we're very grateful for that. Um, get to do that with them. So I teach school. I'm third grade right now, so that keeps life really crazy and hectic. And Laura also teaches school, so that's good. So we can get in the car and vent all the way home and uh, talk about things that no one else would understand or care about, but we do for each other, so that's really good. So that's been good. So um, pretty much, I mean, our life is in a big transition. I, when I came out as gay last January, that was a huge thing, and this community was so, um, why did I think I could say this? Um, it was so amazing and supportive through all that, and it's been a gift to be in among these people as we um, figure that out. Um, and we're definitely in a path where there aren't guidebooks or roadmaps of what this looks like and so we're figuring that out as we go um, but I wouldn't want to do that with anyone else so that's kind of our status right now um, and definitely like Vicki said we're in a place where we never expected we would be and here we are and God's right there with us in the middle of all of that so. okay just briefly because I know we're really pushing up on time but just briefly we wanted to talk uh, about some things that we do here at Amago that are unique to Amago that might be uh, different for those of us that came here recently and so first of all I'm going to ask Chris how did we pick the name Imago Day? I was, we, Vicki and I were talking about this right before the service too uh, back when they first started I wasn't here at the time but they were kicking around names Charlie was throwing some names out and the name Imago Day came out which if you don't know is Latin for image of God but then they pulled kind of people in the, in the, in the community uh, what do you think of this name or, or is it too weird? And they're like, no, it sounds like a Hispanic church, <laughs> which is totally not. But that, that's kind of like the origins of that. But for me personally, I would, I'm drawn to that term. Uh, having worked in youth ministry for a few years, um, I, I saw it as my responsibility to call out the Imago Day uh, in, in the youth that, that I was working with, right? And, and, and years later, as I began to deconstruct my really bizarre spiritual or lack of a spiritual upbringing, uh, to try to formulate something that was a little bit more coherent. Um, the, the theology of the Imago Dei became really center for me. This idea that the, the entire Bible starts with the, with the Imago Dei, right? Genesis 1, we see, you know, the Imago Dei. Um, and so much of my experience with Christianity started in, in Genesis 3, which was the fall of mankind, right? Which is you were born in the sinful nature, and we skip Genesis 1 and 2, which talks about we were created in the image of God, and we were called good, right? And so that being our, our, our resident nature uh, appeals to me, and that's what drew me to this church is that uh, we see everyone, everyone, um, and through the lens of the Imago Dei. 
uh, first and foremost. And then that impacts how we act towards each other when we start at that point versus starting in Genesis 3, which is you're all screwed up and need something that I have that I can bestow upon you. So yeah, I love that. I love that about church. Vicki, why don't we have membership? Okay, that was actually when we first started the church. We, when you start a church, you actually have to make lots of decisions. I don't know if you guys ever think about that, because if you're not a denomination, you get to pick and choose. And, and we knew we were doing that. And the question was, well, do we have membership? And so I'm just going to read what I wrote about it. Corey talked about it a little bit last week when it came to the Apostles' Creed. So Richard Rohr says, if it's true, it is true all of the time and everywhere. And sincere lovers of the truth will take it from wherever it comes. And so what I think when it comes to a membership, this is what we were thinking. We need to know what other people see so that we can clean our lens and try to see it too. And membership blocks this perspective. It creates an atmosphere of sycophants, like-minded people that don't have room for disagreement. And if there's no room for disagreement, then there are those who are above others, those who would have to gatekeep, something we had no interest in. Even logistically, it felt suffocating and gross. Who would tell people that they were out, that we wouldn't extend membership to them? And so like Corey said last week, once we put down all of our beliefs on paper as quote unquote the right ones, we would exclude a huge percentage of people who had ever lived, even saints and martyrs. If God is the great includer, not a popular stand in religion to be sure, God is an includer. Who are we to exclude based on our current understanding? 10 years from now, I hope I'm wrong on a few things because that will mean I have grown and come to know God more. And we wanted to be open to where God is. Christianity does not hold the sum of the truth in our world, but we do believe that God does. How to see is more important than what to see. We believe that the Holy Spirit is real, and that is what will lead us into truth, not doctrinal gatekeeping, not seeing who is in and who is out, but being open to where the Spirit will lead us. And that Imago Day is why we do not have membership, because we can learn from you and you can learn from us in collaboration and in community. So the next question I want to get into is this communal decision-making that makes us who we are. It's a little bit different than some of us are used to. So what does the leadership structure look like, Emily? Sure. So um, Imago is kind of guided by four main teams. Uh, so there is the resource team that deals a lot with our kind of physical, tangible resources. So our budget, our facilities, things like that. We have the ministry team that deals a little bit more with um, how we choose to minister both internally and externally to people. And so it, it deals a little bit with our human resources um, and make sure that people are engaged and connected. And we have our formation team, which looks more at our spiritual paths, right? So the formation team exists a lot to help make sure that people are able to continue to get to know God more at whatever stage they're at. And overseeing all three of those teams is our leadership team. And the leadership team deals some with um, human resources as far as our staff go, but it also looks at kind of the ethos of the church. So uh, decisions are made kind of between all of those teams. Sometimes they start at leadership team and they get kicked down to one of the sub teams and sometimes they start at the sub teams and get kicked up. Uh, sometimes the individual teams are able to, to kind of make determinations on their own. Um, but within all of those teams, um, we use a consensus-driven 
decision-making process. So it is um, neither one person having all of the voice um, or even more voice than others, kind of as we talked about the same reasoning behind the teaching team. And we try hard to never have it be so that, you know, one vote and one person, and so 50% of our family is unhappy with the decision that's made. Mm -hmm. We have the opportunity to um, talk about things, and sometimes that makes the meetings really, really long, um, but everybody's voice is heard, and they make sure that people feel comfortable with whatever decision um, we come to. And so there, if there are, are discussions that are happening, and somebody's on board with most of it, but there's one piece that's kind of, um, pulling us back or, or that kind of instinctually feels wrong, they have the opportunity to say, but, but this is what's bothering me. And so we can talk around that and figure out how to make our decisions, um, make the best decisions for, for our family. Why do we do sermon discussion, Brian? So this tends to be something that people either love or can't stand or get freaked out by when they first come to Imago. So maybe when you first came, you wondered why are so many people talking. Um, for me, it was one of the things I was really drawn to. So that was a very intentional choice when the church was founded. And again, it was part of that idea that it wasn't supposed to be just the pastor's show. It wasn't supposed to be just one person telling everyone else what to think and believe. We really value the way that the Holy Spirit works through everyone who is part of a church family. And so having ways and space within the Sunday morning time for other people to speak about what did they see, what questions do they have, what did they notice. Um, it just brings a richness to our conversation, and everyone is better because of that. So I know for me there have been so many times when something that struck me the most was something that somebody else said a couple of pews away from me, not something that came from up front. So that's something that we really value, and we try to make that happen on Sunday morning and also lots of other spaces within the Imago family, having places where we can learn from so many different people. Thank you. Uh, just a couple more, and we're really going to make these fast, okay? So y'all listen quick. Listen quick. Why do we wear the cross while reading scripture? Who wants to take that? I will. When you're reading scripture, you are not representing yourself. You are representing the words of God. And regardless of how you might interpret scripture, putting the cross on is a tangible reminder that when you are speaking these words, they are not yours. They belong to the they belong to the scripture. And so it's just a way to remind us physically, don't hold these words against who's ever saying them. They're reading scripture. Why do we have seven and a half minutes of connection time? Um, so this was something that came out of a Lent like eight million years ago. Uh, so real talk, churches can feel real clicky. And um, as somebody who came in about nine months after Imago started, I already very much had a lens, A, of rejection from churches because of my history, and B, that it was the cool hip church. And so I came in with the expectation that I probably would struggle to, to connect. And at the time, to be fair, there did seem to be a general sense that you could tell who was there from the beginning and who had come afterwards. And that was nobody's fault. It was just a, a function of, of a church plant. And so it was something that we talked about even years later in the teaching team. And one of the main worship leaders at the time named Jeff um, had been thinking about that conversation. And so for Lent that year, he said, um, you know, we, we don't do much on Sunday mornings to help facilitate contact. And the reality is you're not going to make a best friend 
I mean, with some exceptions, during the chatting time um, at a church. That's actually how Vicki and I met. But um, And so Jeff felt like during Lent that year, he, wa- he felt like we should tithe 10% of the service time to connection. And so that's where the seven and a half minutes came from. He stole it from a Lutheran church. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know that. Um, and so it really is meant to be a time where if there's somebody that you want to just make an introduction with, um, it's obviously not where you're going to forge a relationship, but it's more than the, you know, two minutes of, you know, running to go to the bathroom, get coffee and say hi to somebody. Um, and, you know, I had a friend who came, who was going through a really emotional struggle. And she, this was somebody who was known by a lot of our community and, this person was very concerned about being approached at the time because they were dealing with a lot of um, anxiety. And so I just stood like a football player kind of over her during that time and would talk to this person one-on-one until they were comfortable. And so you can run away, you can engage, but the point is that that seven and a half minutes is given to us as a community to connect with one another, even if there's no other place for us to do that. And we want to maybe eventually take some space for silence as well, for quiet, for the introverts who need that to connect. But that's the reason behind the seven and a half. Thank you. Why don't we pass an offering plate? Also very gross. (laughs) I do think that tithing is an important spiritual gift, but I can't tell you what to tithe. So everyone sees if you don't put something in it. So let's just not do that gross practice. And I trust that you have found the practices to give to the church that you give to the divine operating in your life. And it does not need to be in the form of a community or a offering plate. Can I speak Thank to you. that really quick? I know we're short on time, but as somebody who struggled a lot with financial resources over the course of my life, there was always um, some shame connected to the passing of the plate. And what I love is that when I've been in those seasons here, I can give of my time, my energy, um, my thoughts, my gifts, And I know that those are just as valid in those seasons. And then when I am able to give financially, I know that that is not the end-all be-all of what I have to contribute. But it is a way that is important and that I can contribute. But if you're one of those people who does not have the financial resources right now, I feel very strongly that there are other just as meaningful ways that you can give. And so this eliminates some of that stigma. Amen. Why do we follow parts of the church calendar like Advent and Lent? Hmm. So I've been, I've been thinking about this one a lot because, like I mentioned, uh, historicity and ancient practices of the church are very near and dear to my heart over many years of learning and study uh, because I grew up in, like I said, in a church that didn't even acknowledge that those things existed, probably because they were too Catholic, and God forbid that we be too Catholic in our practices. So, like, I only knew of Christmas and Easter. Those are the two things you do. Those are the only things that you do. Uh, And then it wasn't until I got to college and then seminary and past that where I started to grow a deeper and deeper appreciation for not just Advent and Lent, the big two uh, that are connected to Easter and Christmas, but just the church year and calendar because it helps us not just think about Christmas and Easter differently, it helps us to focus our attentions and our thoughts towards a direction. So as we're coming up to the time of Advent in two weeks from today, I've got that right, um, we're going to begin focusing our attention to the preparation and the anticipation and the waiting for Christ to be born. Because we live in this really weird time of it has happened, but it hasn't happened. It's the now and the not yet of 
Christ has already been born, but we are acting and re-remembering as though he is not. And so these times are intentional, intentional times where we can focus on what is yet to come, both for Advent, for the birth, and in the time of Lent, what is yet to come in the death and then resurrection of Christ. I'm sure I could speak a lot more on that, but... That's great. Thank you, JJ. Long. Why do we let other groups use our church building? I particularly like this one. Um, you know, the church sits empty 95% of the week, right? Uh, what, a, what a horrible stewardship if we don't, right? That we have this, this amazing space, and there's so much need in the community, so many other organizations that, like, we don't hold the activity of God captive here. It's happening in the community, and we have space that we can just open wide for folks to do that. So we have preschool for all. We have Celebrate Recovery and AA meetings. We've got other groups that meet here. Uh, we, it's, it's just amazing. It's a, it's a proper stewardship of the, of the facilities that we have. So just like the money issue, just like the times, you know, and the talent and all of our gifts and whatnot, it's another way just to, to show that this is the Lord's house. <laughs> we don't own it, uh, and it can be used however um, God sees fit. It's also reflected in one of our directives um, that as we pursue, you know, expanding the values of the kingdom of God, there are going to be times that we partner with organizations that we don't agree with 100% in order to continue to see those things happen. And so I think it's important to just to acknowledge the fact that this was something that was written in from the foundation of the church and the use of the building is one iteration of that directive. Thank you. Last one. Why do we let people get baptized so many different ways? It's reflected in church history. There is a spectrum of baptism belief that spans the entire history of Christianity. Entire households would get baptized in the Bible. Babies have been baptized because they would be part of the household. Um, like we do immersion here. If you just want to be sprinkled because you're afraid of water, God honors that and we'll do it however you want. So the idea of baptism is your personal choice of how you are stating to the community that your life has been changed forever by a God that you now know, and your baptism gets to reflect that. We do not hold the keys to baptism. We get to share in it with you. It's not magic, right? If you, if you haven't committed to that way or are part of that journey, then all you're getting is wet regardless of how you're baptized, right? And so there's a significant meaning to that act, and it's personal often. As we would discuss in college, it is an outward sign of an inward confession. Well, thank you very much for being up here with me and for uh, joining us, joining all together to teach and lead um, the, the church here at Imago. Thank you.